When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the introduction of new styles, genres, and artists, the 80s was a unique time in music. It thankfully left the discware of the 70s long behind and ushered in a new movement of pop culture. The rise of MTV changed the way we consume music, and image became more important than ever. Artists like Madonna and Michael Jackson reigned supreme, and a brand new art form called hip-hop started taking over. We had the rise of new wave music and a bit of another British invasion with bands like Duran Duran, the Pet Shop Boys, and Wham. Rock music was still going strong and pop music was possibly at its height. Don't forget the old dogs though, bands like the Rolling Stones, Queen, and ACDC were still a prominent part of the music scene despite coming out of another era. So how do you narrow down the best 80s song amongst all this amazing music. Well, that's what I'm going to attempt here today. Of course, a list like this is very subjective, and every list you see will come from the writer's own perspective. I'm going to try to take my own viewpoint, but factor in the influence and impact the song had during its release. So that's what I'm going to try to do here today. Welcome to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out. And... I was putting this whole list together and I wanted to maybe, you know, start including audio clips and features of the songs, but there's technically you're allowed to, when it comes to copyright issues, as far as containing little snippets of the song you're discussing. But since I'm covering, you know, quite a few, I was just going to leave it at that. But what I have done is put together a Spotify playlist of these top 15 songs all ranked in order that you can check out and wherever you're listening to this on like whatever podcast app if it's uh, apple Podcasts or even on spotify there should be a link that you will find in the show notes and that will give you access to that playlist so you can listen along or check it out after so as we get into this, and as it goes without saying, these lists are, are borderline impossible to do. And like I said, I've you know taken a few factors in consideration besides my own specific viewpoint. And the thing is, some of these songs might not have been chart toppers, so that's also taken into consideration. There's a lot of factors, and I think I've narrowed it down as best as I could. The main thing is, though, however, I think what I've covered you will find on most top 10 lists. Uh, the order will change, but I, I think I've included ones that really define the decade. And that's why I thought instead of doing a top 10 list, which is so easy and actually a little more confining because there's so much more, I thought 15 is the way to go. Okay, so here we go. Deep Breath, the 15 best songs of the 80s, starting with number 15, 
Material Girl by Madonna. To many, this may have been the absolute best song of the 80s. It isn't to me, but it's still worth noting. Material Girl really captured the movement into material wealth and the drive for success that was a hallmark of the 80s. The decade can really be defined by the movement into the yuppie lifestyle, which I never realized yuppie stood for young urban professional. That's, I don't know why I never knew that for the longest time. Also, Ronald Reagan was creating an economic system that allowed people to flourish. More money was being invested than ever before, and people wanted to show off what they had. There was no more nobility and poverty, and movies like Wall Street embraced that. Greed was good. Madonna perfectly captured this with Material Girl, released on July 23rd, 1985. The music video plays off of Marilyn Marilyn Monroe's Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Madonna had actually nothing to do with writing and creating the song, but she felt the message resonated with her as she was very career-oriented at the time. It never reached number one on Billboard, which might surprise you, but it got as high as number two. At number 14, Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. I feel that this song has only gotten better with time. This song goes all the way back to 1983 and is really like the epitome of heart and passion of an 80s sort of power ballad. I never knew this, but Bonnie Tyler is Welsh, and the song was released on her fifth studio album, Faster Than the Speed of Light. The song was a massive hit when it was released on February 11th, 1983. It was a huge hit in the UK and was the fifth highest selling single for all of that year. It has sold 6 million copies worldwide and was certified gold. The original version was actually pretty long and needed to be shortened for radio play. Bonnie Tyler takes some influence from Meatloaf, who likes to record epic long-playing singles. Total Eclipse of the Heart started out as a 7-minute song and was then shortened down to 4 minutes and 30 seconds. Again, this song is the definitive power ballad and it showcases all of Bonnie Tyler's range and her powerful singing ability. Number 13, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham. And, you know, some consider Wham a bit of a joke band, but I really don't think that's the case. Formed in England in 1981, Wham is made up of George Michael and Andrew Ridgely. They embraced a lot of elements of funk and soul music early on. They put out their first album in 1983, and it was actually a pretty socio-political album. We think of them as fine and goofy, but that first album was all about the state of unemployment in England and many of the issues that young people had to face. Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go came out on May 14th, 1984. And in case you didn't know, this was a massive hit going certified platinum, selling over 2 million copies. The whole origin of this song comes from a note that Andrew Ridgely had left his parents. In the note, he had scribbled, Wake Me Up Before You Go. But Up was accidentally written twice, so he threw another go in there. Fun fact of the podcast. At number 12, The Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News. The greatest movie single ever written, to me, and a song that cannot be heard without picturing the movie associated with it. The other day, so I'm walking out of a grocery store, and I heard The Power of Love playing on the store's outdoor speakers, and I don't ever remember like hearing this really in public. It's kind of weird to hear this song. And there's no way not to think that you're Marty McFly walking around Hill Valley instead of me at this crappy market in my town. It's a completely transformative song. It just takes you into this like absolute 1985 Marty McFly era. It's a really weird experience. 
The Power of Love was Huey Lewis's first number one hit and came out in June 1985, just before the movie was released on July 3rd. The song was obviously written just for the movie and became this iconic power love song anthem. Again, when you hear it, you just want to grab a back of a cop car and start skateboarding. Please don't do that. Most people aren't familiar with the music video. So if you have time and you can track down YouTube, just look up the Power of Love official video because most people have never seen this thing and it's a pretty awesome companion piece to the movie. So definitely check it out. Number 11, Jump by Van Halen. I always think of this as being a 90s song for some reason, but it's a genuine 80s rock anthem. Van Halen ruled the decade, and this song will never die. It goes all the way back to 1983, which, again, I do not recall it being that old. It was released in that December. Van Halen, again, the quintessential hard rock guitar-driven band, but this was one of their very first songs that featured keyboards. The famous synth line that they created for the song actually goes back to 1981 when Eddie Van Halen started first putting the song together. But that new sound that you're looking for, it was rejected by the rest of the band. The name of the song is pretty morbid as it comes from Eddie Van Halen thinking about a news report he saw about a man attempting to jump off a building. Van Halen envisioned someone below saying, go ahead and jump. Instead of basing it on this dark theme, Van Halen decided that the idea to jump was an invitation to, you know, love people. So they went a more adorable route, it looks like. The song went gold and would be a staple for sports stadiums everywhere for probably the end of time. Number 10, You Spin Me Round, parentheses, like a record by the band. Probably no one could name this band if they had a gun to them. The band is named Dead or Alive, unless you're a super fan, no offense. I always find it hilarious when songs and their titles have that parentheses in them. Like it just sort of tacks on the focal point of the song and I don't know why it just can't be used in the main title. I also feel this list is now becoming a little bit of the soundtrack to The Wedding Singer as I'm looking back on here, but maybe they were onto something with what they thought were the best songs of the 80s. That's what I mean. Like the, the songs I'm covering, again, the orders will be disagreed on, but I think it's understood that a lot of these songs will make these lists. If you ever go to a bar, club, or listen to some sort of 80s throwback night, this song 100% will make an appearance. Dead or Alive, fun fact, was another British band that made up that second invasion I was talking about uh, as we went into the 80s. This song was included on their 1985 album, Youthquake. The single was released in England in 1984, and it hit number one there. In the US, it made it to number 11. You wouldn't think so to hear it, but a lot of the influence of the song comes from Luther Vandross, of all people. So the studio wasn't that excited about it. One of the members of Dead or Alive had taken out a $2,500 loan to record it, and the studio still thought it was awful. But regardless of that, it made a dent and an impression, and, and a song that really sort of captures the 80s. And again, you can't really picture 80s music without this song. At number nine, one of my all-time favorites, She Drives Me Crazy by the Fine Young Cannibals. A bit of a one-hit wonder, though if you remember the song Good Thing, one of their follow-ups, that was a pretty solid song too. 
The Fine Young Cannibals, again, perfectly captured the 80s sound, which she drives me crazy. It made great use of the 80s snare drum, that pop sound. You know, you know what I'm speaking of when you hear it. Again, I totally recommend just checking out the playlist on Spotify so you can have access to these songs whenever you want. So that definitive sort of pop 80s snare sound this was created specifically in the case of She Drives Me Crazy. It was recorded with just the snare drum by itself. So they could really isolate and bring out the tones of the snare and get that super high pop sound. So it, you might think it sounded like electronic drum samples, but this was all real acoustic drums in the song. So the way they got this was they put a speaker on top of the drum and then they put a microphone below the drum. They then played the original recording of the snare drum through the speaker and then recorded again with the mic below it to create even more of that standout pop sound that is not, not pop as in genre, but like the pop, actual physical pop sound off the snare that has become so synonymous with 1980s music. At the time, I was never aware that Fine and Cannibals were again a British band. Their album, The Raw and The Cook, came out in 1988, which featured the hit single, She Drives Me Crazy. This song went to number one when it came out on December 26, 1988, and again, to me, really stands out as one of the best 80s songs. It always pops to mind when I think back to the decade and those nights listening to the radio with my dual cassette recorder, hoping my fingers could act quick enough to record it as you know, it came on. Kids, if you don't know what that is, you're going to have to ask your parents what a dual cassette recorder is and pressing record and hoping that the DJ didn't speak too much over the intro of the song so you could capture it and make your own mixtapes and the whole deal. But even though it was only number one for one week, it was a huge hit around the world. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Number eight, Karma Chameleon by The Culture Club. It's not that The Culture Club was underrated, but I think they were way ahead of their time when it came to music in the 80s. The person of Boy George was already controversial and intriguing, and it made for the perfect band. Karma Chameleon is from the 1983 album Color by Numbers, which is an amazing album. If you've never heard this thing or you haven't heard it for a while, check it out. Culture Club had a ton of top 10 hits, but Karma Chameleon was their only number one when it stayed there for four weeks in 1984. Boy George states that this song is all about alienation and the fear of trying to stand up for something. The song was almost called Cameo Chameleon, which doesn't have the best ring to it. But this song was a juggernaut in the 80s, and I think it still holds up pretty well after all these years. Here we go. Number seven. This might throw you off a bit. Billie Jean by, do I have to say it? Michael Jackson. This could easily be number one on the list. But I feel the other choices offer a bit better snapshot of the 80s. Billie Jean is so good that it could have come out in any era and still fit right in. This song is so iconic that you can identify it by the first snare drum note. 
Then one of the best bass lines in history soon kicks in. That's followed by one of the most memorable synth parts ever recorded. The song is pretty much perfect. And I could do an entire podcast just on this song. Here's just some of the highlights about Billie Jean. It was released on January 2nd, 1983. It combines R&B, funk, pop, dance pop, and a post-disco sound. It was Michael Jackson's fastest rising number one single. It has sold over 10 million copies, making it one of the biggest singles in music history. And Jackson's performance of Billie Jean on the Motown TV special is when he first debuted the moonwalk to the world. Number six, girls just want to have fun, Cindy Lauper. I don't care who you are, just listening to the first few seconds of this song seems to put you in a better mood. This song really helped to launch Cindy Lauper and her brand of bratty, popish music. Here's an unknown fact. This isn't an entirely original song. It was first recorded in 1979 by Robert Hazard until Lopper re-recorded it and released it in 1983. It soon became a feminist anthem, and despite being a massive hit and nominated for a Grammy, it only reached number two on Billboard. Here's another interesting fact. If it wasn't for this song, we might not have professional wrestling and the WWF slash WWE as we know it. And I've talked a bit about this on the show before. There was this chance encounter on a flight that had Cindy Lauper sit next to WWF manager Captain Lou Albano. It was thought that Albano would be the perfect uh, kind of actor or performer to star in the video for the song to play Cindy Lauper's father. This started to pave the way and make the connection between the WWF and MTV in what was called the Rock and Wrestling Connection. And this combined pro wrestling on MTV mixed in with music videos. This culminated into a few televised wrestling events, one called the Brawl to End It All and the other one called the War to Settle the Score, which featured the upstart WWF and some of its characters, including the newly introduced Hulk Hogan, alongside Cindy Lauper and the people from MTV. The success of these events led Vince McMahon to put on WrestleMania 1. All the momentum they had built, he took every penny he owned, like put two mortgages on his house, put everything into WrestleMania 1. And if it hadn't been a success, pro wrestling as we know it, and the WWF just wouldn't have grown or gone anywhere. So interesting side note there. We're in the top five. At number five, Living on a Prayer, Bon Jovi. The anthem of all anthems and a song that can bring every drunk person in a bar together like they're long lost friends. No one really knows all the words, but everyone knows the chorus. Bon Jovi was just heavy enough to be a real rock band, but poppy enough to be played on radio and listened to by everyone. As a kid, I had their tapes. I had like mixed copy tapes that friends made for me. I thought they were like really badass. And I thought I was listening to basically like Iron Maiden. It was so, or like it was Megadeth or something. And I, I kept the tapes hidden under my bed because I thought they were just so like outlandish and aggressive and dangerous and whatever. And I had to keep it from my mom. When you look back, it was really tame stuff. Living on a Prayer came out in late 1986 and was pe- featured on Bon Jovi's third album, Slippery When Wet. It was their first number one and had one of the heaviest rotations on MTV at the time. Living on a Prayer went through several recordings as Bon Jovi just wasn't happy with it at first. 
the characters of Tommy and Gina in the song are based on real life friends of Bon Jovi, and they had experienced the same type of struggles. The song is also very reflective of the trickle down ep- economics of the Reagan era and, you know, sort of the inequality and the distribution of, of wealth and how it, you know, affected the working class and all that sort of stuff. So this, yeah, this drunken bar anthem is a little bit deeper than most people realize. Number four, Pour Some Sugar On Me, Def Leppard, the song that launched a thousand strip clubs. Def Leppard, probably my favorite band ever, and especially in the 1980s. And again, had that approachable appeal similar to Bon Jovi. They were pretty heavy when it came to the sound of their music, but again, still that pop sense to it. Whereas, you know, I was a little scared to listen to bands like Iron Maiden and whatnot, but Def Leppard presented sort of more like a Fisher Price version. That's probably completely insulting, but you know what I mean? It just, it felt a little more accessible. Whereas say like Iron Maiden again, felt like a specific hard rock genre that you really had to get into. Whereas, you know, Def Leppard was played everywhere. Pour Some Sugar On Me is another great anthem rock song. Again, in the spirit of living on a prayer, it has this punchy but airy sound to it. And it's still a great hit all these years later. The song was part of the monumental album Hysteria, which I played to absolute death. It was released in 1987, and I don't remember this being, you know, getting a little later into the decade. I thought it was a little earlier. But when they put the single out, it was on April 16th, 1988, obviously a massive hit right out of the gate, but it didn't reach number one. It was kept at number two thanks to Richard Marx's Hold On to the Night, which I find just hilarious. Pour Some Sugar On Me takes a lot of its influence from the song that's coming up next. And you wouldn't believe it, but this combination rap rock is the reason we had Pour Some Sugar On Me. So number three, Walk This Way by Run DMC and Aerosmith. This the, the, the career trajectory of Aerosmith is amazing, and it's just funny to think that they were like a dead-end band for a while and had been sort of kicked to the curb, and this is a song that helped rejuvenate their career. Rap was starting to explode, but a three-man group from Queens took it to the next level. Formed in Hollis in 1981, Run DMC was made up of Daryl DMC McDaniels, Joseph Run Simmons, and Jason Jam Master Jay Mazzell. They were the first rap group to have a gold album in 1984 and also to be nominated for a Grammy. They were the first to go platinum, multi-platinum, the first rap group to appear on MTV, and the first to appear on American Bandstand, and the first to appear on the cover of Rolling Stone. It's safe to say, like, Run DMC is the Beatles of hip-hop. There's no other way to put it. So the story with this song... The members were flipping through albums while in the studio and came across an old album by Aerosmith called Toys in the Attic from 1975. Aerosmith, like I said, was pretty washed up at that point, but Run DMC liked the sound and they started to freestyle over a song called Walk This Way. This was while they were recording the iconic Raising Hell album and producer Rick Rubin suggested they remake the song. The band wasn't down with this idea, but ended up recording it with Rick Perry and Steven Tyler. There was no intention to release it as a single, and it was just something to play around with. But Rick Rubin really pushed for it. It was a smart idea. Walk This Way hit number four, which was higher than the original had. Again, rap was still pretty new, so this was a huge moment for the new genre. And this led to one of the most famous music videos ever, 
um, which actually Steve and uh, Perry and Tyler were reluctant to appear in as they didn't want it to look like they were being made fun of. But of course, it didn't come across that way. And just the, you know, iconic imagery of breaking down the walls between the two genres and, you know, had its place now in history. Okay, we're in the top two. Number two, Beat It by Michael Jackson. So this song to me is something I never thought could exist until I heard it. I don't know if that makes sense. I didn't know music could be this good. I didn't know it could be this catchy or like this intense. I, I specifically remember the first time I heard this song. Um, you know, it was kind of jarring to hear Michael Jackson speak for the first time, if you remember that, after hearing such powerful vocals, like we'd only just heard him sing. And I always thought he had this larger-than-life voice, and of course, this is the complete opposite. Again, I was still young when this came out, but I remember this song making me feel so super hyped. It was released way back on Valentine's Day, of all days, in 1983. The approach with Beat It was Quincy Jones challenging Michael Jackson to make a rock song. Jackson was never involved or interested in rock music, but he took on the challenge. There's probably a reason it appeals to like young me back then, as Michael Jackson's approach with Beat It was to record a rock song that kids would like as much as college students. So here's some more fun facts when it comes to Michael Jackson's dominance of the 80s. Okay, Beat It was certified five times platinum. It sold over seven million copies. It's considered the song, really, and the video, of course, that really launched Michael Jackson into full superstardom. It features, of course, Eddie Van Halen on the guitar solo. And the video is now pretty famous because it was actually filmed on Skid Row in Los Angeles. And they took a lot of risk making this video. But, you know, it turned out to, again, be another iconic image and sort of soundtrack of the 80s. Okay, here's my number one song of the decade. It's Take On Me by AHA. And... Yeah, I'll just get right into this thing. Here, first, the fun fact. Check this video out. This thing has over a billion views, the official video on YouTube. This may not be number one on every list of, of these, you know, best of the 80s, but I guarantee it's on the list somewhere. AHA was formed in 1982 in Norway and released the album Hunting High and Low in 1985, which contained Take On Me. So... To me, this song is the perfect embodiment of the 1980s and the growing shift in pop culture. The visuals from the video help to cement the song as truly iconic and, again, embrace the new medium of music video. MTV and AHA seem to go hand in hand and each one helped in the success of the other. It's far from the best song ever recorded, but again, defines the 80s in my eyes. Take On Me was first released in October of 1984, then re-released in 1985 as it went through three different versions. The earlier version had more of a punk rock feel to it, but then it became more of the melodic version we know. Take On Me is the ultimate in 80s synth pop and strong melody. You still get a little bit of a feel of its punk origins because of its relatively fast tempo of 169 beats per minute, which is a lot faster than most other songs. It mixes a lot of interesting drum patterns, and it really shows off the vocal range of singer Morton Harkett. And what makes this the best song in the 80s to me 
has to also do with the visuals, which we're now, you know, becoming so increasingly important. And that's a big factor in what makes it number one to me. It wasn't just enough to have a great song. You had to have a great video to go along with it. A mediocre song could be made better by a great video and a great song could be ruined by a crappy video. Take On Me combined the two things beautifully with its artistic pencil-drawn visuals into one of the most famous music videos ever made. Okay, so I better start winding it down here. If your favorites weren't included on the list, everyone's going to have to sort of form a single file line on the right with all the other people I may have insulted with this list. Again, it's almost impossible to make this, you know, definitive 1980s list. But, you know, as I explained from my perspective and with the others, other, other factors involved, I think it's pretty good. I think we can agree that pretty much all these songs would exist on a list of what makes up the best music of the decade. The order, again, may change, but you'll always see these entries. So I'll start finishing it off here. And as I finish up, I just want to give a shout out to the patron of the week. And these are like the top level patrons, which I'll explain more in a second. So also a bit of a profile on some of them. So this week, shout out to Daryl and looking at some of his favorite 80s things. So his favorite 80s movie is 1987's Empire of the Sun, which is not that it's an underrated movie by any means, but it's easily sometimes overlooked. If you haven't seen this thing for a while, check out Empire of the Sun to remember how like powerful this movie is. Favorite 80s TV show, he loves Silver Spoons because he perfectly pointed out that he thought in order to be rich, you had to have an arcade machine in your home, just like on Silver Spoons. So that I remember that clicking into like this is the absolute height of wealth and luxury. His favorite 80s band, The Cure. And you can never go wrong with The Cure. So if this is new to you, patreon.com is a way to support small shows like this for, you know, small monthly fees as low as like two bucks. But then you get different rewards for joining and there's different tier levels. So like the top tier levels where you get shout outs like this with Daryl and where, you know, do quick little bios and profiles and I'll be doing those in the next coming weeks but then again there's the different levels and say like the boba fett level which is like right in the middle it gives you access to the everything 80s movie club you, you can just check it out by going to patreon.com slash 80 so p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash 80s and just have a look because you know I'll, I'll put the show when the podcast is released i'll put it on patreon first before i put it out to the world basically i'll share uh, every now and then on Saturdays, I'll put some of my all-time favorite Saturday morning cartoons and little profile information about that, clips from old commercials, all sorts of stuff. So, you know, if you're interested, just go have a look, check that out. But I'll finish it up here. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll be back soon with a new one. Don't you dare miss it.